Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and rest upon us and give us peace. Come and fill this space where I'm standing and every space where uh, this congregation is gathered all around the city and beyond. Fill those spaces with your presence, Lord. Fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So did you get your shot yet? First shot? Second shot? Done the two weeks yet? Hey, I heard they're giving leftover shots out at such and such grocery store after a certain hour. If they don't, they have to throw them away. You should get over there. Yeah, I had an appointment, uh, but they ran out of shots, so they had to bump me. don't know when I'm going to get my shot. Yeah, yeah, what have you heard about Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca? I heard the CDC's uh, giving the thumbs up for uh, Johnson & Johnson. The Fauci-ouchie, you gotten your Fauci-ouchie? You know, it's become our everything, hasn't it? How many times have you talked about it just today? Maybe a thousand times this week? The vaccine. And when someone gets that shot, I've heard so many people say it. I've said it uh, to people that I know who've gotten it. Oh, man, now you're bulletproof. You've got superpowers. And there's all this other stuff that's coming along, too, with this uh, glorious, miraculous vaccine uh, that is uh, emerging, these vaccines that are emerging. There is, I would say, some covetousness of some who haven't been stuck in the arm yet. And there's some pretty interesting links that people have taken in order to get stuck in the arm. Um, there's sometimes I've seen uh, people feeling guilty that they have already received the stick in the arm and don't feel that they're worthy to have received it before someone else. And, and then there's, I would say, um, a profound, almost euphoric feeling that I've heard people are feeling, um, a feeling of ultimate relief after being stuck in the arm. And all of this, I would say, suggests that we are a people who have and are experiencing a serious assault on our peace and our confidence. And we Christians, of course, aren't uh, exceptions to this. Our experience is much the same as anyone else during this pandemic. We're all facing the same enemy. It's this enemy who, who comes after every single person with unrelenting accusation and condemnation and, and ultimately execution. And with that, separation. And of course, I'm talking about the great enemy that is death. And the COVID-19 pandemic is just the latest manifestation of the relentless battle that death began to wage on humanity, and it has been waging it against humanity since the very first bite of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Death came, and death keeps coming, and we feel its charge against us, you are a sinner. We feel its condemnation. Your sentence has come down. 
You are a dead man. You are a dead woman walking. When the enemy speaks so loudly, we buy into the idea that the axe is falling and the separation from life, from goodness, from light, from God is a foregone conclusion. I know that sounds perhaps a bit morbid, overly morbid I should say, maybe a bit melodramatic. I've been accused of being a little melodramatic at times, but I'm just going on what I see in myself and in others around me. It seems like there's been an inundation of accusation, condemnation, and separation. And I blame death. I put it squarely at the feet of that great enemy. Now this takes on, of course, all sorts of forms, and it comes from all different directions, these assaults. But it's coming from within ourselves, right? It is coming from outside ourselves. It's coming from all corridors. But ultimately, I put death at the center of it all, and it is doing a terrible work on each of us. And of course, this is not just the case in 21st century. Uh, Here, now, during this disequilibrium of a pandemic, we find it in every generation We find it in first century Rome during the disequilibrium of life in a hostile empire. And that's where St. Paul is uh, writing. That's the the, the community into which he's writing. Um, He's writing to the Roman Christians. And of course, he had never been to Rome. Uh, He didn't know even uh, many of those uh, people that were there, maybe any of them. But he did know exactly what ailed them. He knew that they were inundated by accusation, condemnation, and separation. He knew they had death at their doorstep at all times. And so the temptation to despair and lose trust in the love of God was ever-present. And so he writes this letter, and the first half of the letter is almost exclusively devoted uh, to the love of God and to bringing assurance of the love of God. And he, he does this by, by, by bringing forth all the benefits of the love of God for those who put their faith in Him and the work of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And um, in this first half of the letter, it culminates with our chapter uh, from Romans this morning, chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and open it to uh, the letter of Paul to the Romans. And we're looking uh, principally at the culmination of this culminating chapter. We're looking at verses 31 to 38. Chapter 8 of Romans, verses 31 to 38. In verse 31, Paul begins the, the section with asking a question. He says, "'What then shall we say to these things?' And so we best look back and see what Paul means by these things. Um, and there's a lot here in the first 30 verses of chapter 8, and so I'll just give the highlights. Um, but before we get into chapter 8, I want to just sort of go back a little before then. Let's look at chapter 7 as we lead into chapter 8. And in chapter 7, Paul gives his famous description of the trap of sin. 
And if you were to write, I think, words to, to somehow mimic the experience that a fly has trying to escape a spider's web, it would be these words in the latter part of chapter 7, verses 15 and following. This is Paul's description of his attempts to escape the web of sin. He writes, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to do it or to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. And it culminates with this desperation that he cries out in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a dark, dark place. But into that darkness, like a beam of light, comes that confession of verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then comes chapter 8. And Paul launches into this broad and, and sweeping unpacking of that confession of Jesus Christ our Lord's deliverance of wretched men and women like Paul, like the Romans, like each one of us. He declares, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in verse 1. No condemnation to eternal death and damnation, verse 11. There is adoption and access to God who is Abba, Father, verse 15. And as children of God, there is inheritance as as co-heirs with Christ, verses 16 and 17. And as co-heirs with Christ, there is assurance of the future glory. And with that assurance, there is capacity for endurance of any sufferings of the present time, verse 18. There is help, help in weakness as the Spirit intercedes for the children of God with groanings too deep for words, verse 26. And then Paul sums up this section in verse 30 with the declaration of the full and complete work of God in every Christian. And those whom God predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And if you had to summarize all of this, it's a description of how the love of God is made manifest in the life of the believer in the kingdom of God. And so if you're experiencing any kind of assault on your peace and your confidence, whether you're a first century Roman Christian or a 21st century Charlestonian Christian, these things, as Paul calls them in verse 31, are just the kind of antidote, or you might say, just the kind of vaccine you need against the accusation, condemnation, and and perceived separation by this great enemy death. And so Paul asks then, what shall we say to these things? And as I read this this passage, um, Paul 
in this argument, he kind of reminds me of Dwight Schrute from The Office. If you've ever watched The Office, um, Paul kind of is like Dwight Schrute, kind of obnoxious, very opinionated, always knows he's right, and, um, and brings these very resolute arguments by listing fact after fact after fact. And he even said it, fact, fact, fact. So what then shall we say to these things? Fact. If God is for us, who can be against us? Implying no one can. Fact, verse 32. God did not spare his own son, so clearly he'll give us all things in the face of death's accusation, condemnation, and separation. So we have the accusation, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Answer, no one. Why? Because, fact, it is God who justifies, which means as the justified, the believer is beyond the reach of the accusations. And then there's condemnation, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Answer, no one. Why? Because, fact, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Jesus has already taken the condemnation upon himself. It can't be done again. More than that, fact, Christ was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God and is ever interceding for us. So Jesus' death was effective, and He is victorious over death, and He never ceases to bring that victory as an advocate before the Father. He intercedes to the Father on our behalf. And separation, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Which is just another way of asking, who shall damn us to hell? Shall tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And Paul, of course, knows all of those assaults firsthand. He knows all the ways a believer can and will be assaulted as attempts at separation come in wave after wave by death. It's always been the story for God's children. And that's why he quotes Malachi in verse 36. No death may come to slaughter the good shepherd's sheep, but shall any of these things separate us from his love? Asks Paul. Then he answers. He really brings the lumber in these next bits. Fact after fact after fact. Verses 37 to 39, and I won't dare to paraphrase it. It's it's words you've got to hear again. Can these things separate us from Christ's love? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation. Nothing in natural creation, all those natural afflictions outlined in verse 35, they can't separate us. None of the things in spiritual creation, all those spiritual afflictions outlined in verse 38, they can't separate us. Nothing. It's the outworking of those words of Psalm 139 when when King David writes about um, imagining a place where he could Uh, go and be separated from God's presence. And what does he find? He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's the outworking of Psalm 23, the psalm we heard sung by the choir so beautifully at the beginning of this service. When David walks through the valley of the shadow of the great enemy, the true dark night. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, writes David, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You're there. He's with us. That's what the promise is in the face of death and all the accusation and condemnation and separation that death threatens upon each of us as it steals our peace and our confidence and churns up all this stuff in us of fear and anger and depression and hopelessness. He's with us. And I wrestled with how to bring some application for this promise, uh, this sermon to you, and, and I, I kept coming up empty because I didn't want to just say up here, now believe that, y'all. That's your application. Just go out and believe what I just said, what Paul wrote. It's not that easy, is it? So I guess I'll just have to give some testimony from my own experience. Some of you know, um, all of us have some expression of the mortality, our broken bodies, the, the darkness of the fall and how it impacts our lives. And in, in the life of Jenny and me, uh, it, it hit us pretty squarely, especially during my years in seminary, our years in seminary, uh, through the darkness of infertility. It became apparent to us over the course of those years that we were there that we were not able to conceive of a child. And, and, um, and we entered into some serious darkness in that time. Strong feelings of, of despair and, and hopelessness, of, of anger, an inability to pray, a lack of desire to read the Scriptures. And I was in seminary, training to be a professional Christian. And what was the help? How did we get through it? How did we get out of it? We were in the pit. We were stuck in the web. Well, all I can tell you is that there came a day, perhaps in the darkest moment of it all, when all there was was just this sense that He was with us, that we hadn't been separated. And that was enough. You've heard it said, the night is darkest before the dawn. Well, I think that's true. Just there in that little glimpse, we saw just a, maybe that the blackness wasn't so black. Maybe it was a little bit gray. 
Maybe there was some light coming. And we just took step after step and God unfolded a different journey from that point forward. And that's what I mean. There was this phrase in this passage that I just don't want us to miss. Verse 32, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave him up for us all so that Jesus might be with us, our Emmanuel with us. And Jesus gave us his spirit that the spirit might be within us. He made the promise, his last words on earth, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's what gives one peace and confidence before the great enemy, death. And with that assurance that that God did not spare His Son for us, we then can be shored up in order that we might not spare ourselves for others. I was at a conference not long ago. Bishop Todd Hunter spoke, and, and, and I, he said one thing, and I, I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't know exactly how he said it, but it's something like this. He said, how might we behave if we really knew in our heart of hearts, really trusted in our heart of hearts that we are always safe in God's kingdom. Might we face death with all its accusations, condemnation, and separation with something other than despair, something other than fear, something other than hopelessness? Might we have just a sense that God is with us and that we will make our way out of the valley of the shadow of death. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, daily we are reminded, perhaps in ways that haven't been so before, of the comprehensive grip that death has on humanity. In a time of pandemic, we see it, Lord, we know it, we feel it, and it we confess, Lord, that it takes us to places that we do not want to be. But thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are, no matter how dark it gets, we cannot, we will not be separated from you. You are with us. Would you lead us and guide us, Good Shepherd, out of the valley of shadow into green pastures of hope and make us, Lord, as those for whom you did not spare your own son, make us those who do not spare our own selves, Lord, in service to you and in service to one another. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who has victory over death through his cross and resurrection. Amen.